Welcome to the Christ Academy podcast with Jeff Wong, where you'll receive inspiring ideas and stories as we explore the journey of faith in Christ. But right now, we begin Acts 5. This week is Acts 5 in this series of going through the book of Acts. And I'm excited about it. I can't wait for you to hear what I sense God wants to speak to us about. I've entitled today, Spiritual Lessons from Modeling. And you might be wondering why, what does modeling have to do with anything that's spiritual? Well, you're going to have to wait and see. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Um, We'll get ahead right into the scriptures and read them together. This is Acts 5, and we're not going to read the whole chapter, but we'll read a few verses from this chapter the verses from 5 all the way to 11. And let's read this together. Once again, really with a sense of reverence, honoring God's Word. This is the Word of the Lord. In some, in some churches, after the Scripture reading, they will say, this is the Word of the Lord. And others will say, thanks be to God. We are thankful for the Word of, the God, for, for the word of God. And that's why we would say something like that. So Acts 5, verses 5 to 11 I'm going to put it on this, on my own screen ahead of me right here. Let's read this together. Once a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira, um, fully cooperating, committed fraud. I'm going to read it actually on a side screen here so I can see it a little bit better. He sold some property and kept some of the proceeds but he pretended to make a full donation to the Lord's emissaries, and in other words, to the apostles. Peter said, Ananias, have you, sw- have you allowed Satan to influence your lies to the Holy Spirit and hold back some of the money? Look, it was your property before you sold it, and the money was all yours after you sold it. Why have you concocted this scheme in your heart? You weren't just lying to us. You were lying to God. Verse 5. Ananias heard these words and immediately dropped down or dropped to the ground dead. Fear overcame all those who heard the incident. Some young men came, wrapped the body and buried it immediately. About three hours had passed when Sapphira arrived. She had no idea what had happened. Peter said, Did you sell the land for such and such a price? Sapphira answered, Yes, that was the price. Peter said in verse 9, Why did the two of you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? Do you hear those footsteps outside? Those are the young men who just buried your husband, and now they will carry you out as well. Verse 10, She like your husband immediately fell she like her husband immediately fell dead at Peter's feet the young men came in and carried her corpse outside and buried it beside her husband the whole church was terrified by the story as were others who heard it so as as we read this story i mean that word terrified in the last verse that we that read that we read i mean that's this is a terrifying story especially after such amazing things had just happened in in the previous chapters of acts and this is something to take really seriously 
And you might have all kinds of questions as you read this. Like, why did God do something so gruesome? Why did God do something so serious? You might be asking, why did... Why was God against these people making money? Or you might ask, was God this angry with these people? Or you might ask, what was so bad about what they did? And in this story, we see a couple of things. We see a couple of things that I want to point out a little bit later. But I think there's a powerful message in here. And, you know, as we went through this passage of Scripture in our life groups this past week, it was it was great to see or hear what God had been speaking to people about and the questions that were being raised in etc and not just from this this set of like five or five to uh, six verses from verses five to eleven, but from all the verses within this particular chapter. But today we're going to focus on these particular verses. And I want to point out as we go, I want to draw attention to our Bible background. I think this week was a Bible background that that Reuben put together. And he mentioned that Ananias and Sapphira, he said, The devil weaves deceit in hearts of two followers. Death seems extreme, but God wants his new church to take sin seriously. And this is exactly what was happening. And by the way, you can go and experience that Bible background, Acts 5, or the one for this coming week, Act 6, at any of our social media platforms for Christ Academy that we just that we just launched recently. You can go to Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, um, TikTok, and uh, not actually Twitter, but go to uh, search for at ChristAcademy.online and you'll find those. And those are going to be really, really helpful for you as you look into this particular scripture. Um and the scripture for this coming week. But I want to talk about two points today that I think this scripture points us to. One is that it, it, it shows us something about God. As we're learning about God, we want to know everything about Him. We want to know about His nature. We want to know about, about what He wants from us, what, he, what, what is the way that He leads us in. What does He want to show us? What does He want to teach us? We want to know about God. And so th- these scriptures give us a glimpse into some aspect of God. And I think it's a pretty important one based on what just happened in this passage. The second thing I want to point out today is that this scripture also points something out about us. About us that we ought to reflect on, that we ought to bring about within our own lives, within our own journey, within our own um, a journey of faith. And so we're going to talk about both these things, about God and about us. So let's head into it. Let me bring us to the next screen here. The first part is about God. And as I was reading the scripture, I really sensed that this scripture is showing us that God is righteous and that God is holy. And I want to dissect and unpack what exactly does that mean? Because we, in everyday language within our society, we never use the word righteous at all. And we never use the word holy unless it has to do with something related to religion or to the church. And, but 
for the most part, people do not understand what does this mean. And even people who are followers of Jesus, who have, who are, or people who are church attenders and participants on a regular basis, not every one of us can define this with certainty. Define these two terms with certainty, to, and and know exactly what it means. And do these terms actually mean the exact same thing? Do they mean the same thing? Righteous and holy. If God is righteous and God is holy, we ought to understand and seek the meaning of what these two things are because it shows us something about Him. And in this passage, we see Ananias and Sapphira, this married couple, they were jumping on the hype train and as people were as people were experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit and were filled with God's love and overwhelmed with it, people who had the means, they would sell off property or sell off a house and then they would donate the proceeds, they would give it to the leaders of the church, the apostles, and then they would put it by their feet, which symbolizes that they respect their authority. And so they would leave it to the apostles to distribute it to those who were in need. And... It was such a powerful thing to see this type of thing, this type of circumstance happen for people to be so moved that they would do things like that. Can you imagine you sell, you might have means, maybe you have an investment property, maybe you have a, a, a townhouse, a townhouse that's your investment property. Here in Vancouver, a townhouse, it might cost like $600,000, for example, Canadian. And you sell that and you give all the proceeds to the to the the apostles, the leaders of the church, and trust that they will distribute that to those that are in need. And then it gets distributed and it starts to meet the needs of people and there's no one left in need within the church community. And people, uh, people start in, in the society start to see that. And the followers of Christ start to have a favor within the people of, within the city of Jerusalem, with, with everyday people, because they see the power of love, just as Jesus talked about, that they will know you are my disciples by your love. There's something so powerful about that. And so Ananias and Sapphira, they jump on that hype train, as I mentioned. And as they jump on that train, they sell their, they sell whatever they, they sold, and they come back, and they keep a portion for themselves, and then... They tell, the, they tell the apostles that here's everything, here's 100% of it. And so by doing so, they look good to everyone else. They look so great to everyone else. But they're lying to the apostles and they're lying. The, the scripture says that they're lying to the Holy Spirit. They're lying to God by lying to the apostles. Lying to God by lying to the leaders of the church. And as a result, God makes an example of them because he can't stand sin. God cannot stand sin. And why can he not stand sin? It's because of what we just were pointing out today. That God is righteous. God is holy. And what do those things mean? Righteous. Righteous is without sin. God is completely good. He can't stand sin. That Maybe the opposite of righteousness is sinfulness. God, if God is completely white with no sin then those who have sin are completely black. That's the, God is so different than us. And that leads me to the second part of this, is that God is so different from us. Holy means separate. He's different. You know, when a king, when a king or queen comes to your city, man, 
they are separate from everyone else. They're separate by the vehicle that they ride ride in. They're separate by the the police officers that hold the crowds back. They're separate by their status. They're separate by their wealth. They're se- separate by their dignity. Dignity. They're they're dignified. They're they're separate by what you would refer to them as your majesty, your majesty. And if they're your king or your queen, you'd say you'd call them your king or your queen. They're separate. That's what holy is. God is so separate. He's so holy. And He's holy. At the same time, He's righteous. He's without sin. Completely without sin, being righteous, and completely holy. This is the God that we have a relationship with. But you might ask, like, how can we have a relationship? If we're like black because we have sin, we're stained, how can we have a relationship with God who can't stand who can't stand sin, who's so separate. If we're full of sin, then he must be so separate from us. And this is a part of the gospel, is that God is so separate from us because human beings have sinned and he can't stand sin. It's like, have you ever heated up the frying pan as hot as it possibly will go? And then you put oil in in the frying pan and you can, and the, the oil is heating, it has heated up and it's even smoking a little bit. Maybe smoking a lot because of how hot it is. If you put, if you take your vegetables and they have water on them because you just washed them and you put it into the frying pan with oil, you're going to hear it snap and crackle like crazy and it's going to splash because oil and water don't mix. Oil and water don't mix. If God perhaps could be equated to the oil, the hot oil, we could be equated to the water. And we don't mix. God and sinful human beings don't mix. But here's the thing. Have you heard of the term emulsifier? Emulsifier. Have you ever made a dressing, a homemade dressing, salad dressing? You may have used an emulsifier. You know, when you put in the olive oil and then you put in the vinegar, whatever you might use, a balsamic vinegar or a white vinegar or apple cider vinegar. And you'll notice that one is on top of the other in the bowl where you're going to mix them together. When you mix them, they still don't mix. They don't, they, don't, they don't combine in any way. They eventually will separate. They can't mix together without some additional substance in there. But there is an additional substance which will help oil and water to mix. It's called an emulsifier. That's why when some, when, when some people make dressings, they put in some mustard. Mustard is an emulsifier. You might go to your fridge. You get out the mustard, the one that you use for hot dogs. Or, or maybe it's a different kind of mustard. Whatever it is. And you put some mustard in and you just begin to mix it up. And as you mix it up, it begins to blend. It begins, it begins to combine together. There's other types of emulsifiers. One, there's, there's lecithins. They're a mixture of fats that are usually extracted from sources such as, as egg yolks, soybeans, sunflower, canola. And there's, there's other types of emulsifiers. And in a sense, what Jesus did, why do you see Jesus on a cross why do we talk about Jesus on a cross? Why did It's because his sacrifice 
God, God sacrificed him on a cross. And in a sense, his death, which paid for our death, is the emulsifier. It helps a, whole, a righteous God and sinful people to have a relationship that is restored. That's the power of the gospel. Jesus' death was the emulsifier that brings oil and something like vinegar, which is water-based, together so that they can combine. So God, although he is righteous, completely righteous, and then God, who is completely holy, is able to have a relationship with us. And this is what Peter, Simon Peter, in Acts, in the previous chapters, is talking about, but in different words. So let's go to the next section. If that's about God, this passage of Scripture also, also tells us about us. That we are to be righteous. That we are to be holy, just like God is righteous and just like God is holy. Now that Jesus, the emulsifier, has helped us come together, has helped our relationship to be restored, we need to take on the characteristics of God. Jesus has, you, you know, when it comes to righteousness, you might be thinking or asking the question like, you know, if, if, if we, if, if Jesus has made us righteous, how come we still sin? This is how it all works. Let me, let me explain this to you. Let me break it down for you. When Jesus paid for our sins, paid for our death with his own death, what happened was that he satisfied, satisfied God's, God's need for righteousness and justice. And he did it out of his mercy and love. Those are all characteristics of God. But when he did that, we receive not a practical, tangible, full righteousness. We receive a position. It's called a position of righteousness. We receive a position of righteousness. The Bible says we're clothed in Christ's righteousness. I'm wearing a black shirt right now, but imagine that my black shirt is... is I, I still have my black shirt. But because of Christ, Christ gives me his shirt, his white shirt, and I put it on over my black shirt, and I have, I'm seen as righteous before, before God because he sees the righteousness of Christ when he looks at me. That's a position of righteousness. But in everyday life, I am working out my salvation, and that's called, another, that type of salvation is called sanctification. That type of salvation is called sanctification. That's the, the working out of your salvation day to day. You're becoming more and more righteous because you're obeying God. You're trusting God. You're living out, you're living out the scriptures. You're living out God's leading and his teaching that he's showing you. You're becoming more righteous. And God is using that to work on you and to transform you. And it will happen throughout your lifetime. Some things will just be instant. And some things will take a lifetime. And some things God's not even going to show you until you're further down the road. Some things, you know, like, thank God that He doesn't show us everything, that every sinful thing about us all at once. We'd be so overwhelmed. We'd be so overwhelmed by that that we'd probably die. 
overwhelmed by our own sinfulness if we really, really understood our sinfulness. But God, in his mercy, he's just so merciful. He, he, he shows us this and he shows us that. He saves that and that for later down the road. He saves this other stuff for later down the road. Sometimes it's for a time when we can handle it. Sometimes it's, it's for a, a time when we're more receptive. Sometimes it's just in time. It's just in time for the right moment when you'll need it or when the kingdom of God will need it. That's the amazing thing about God's timing. Did you know that God, if he, he works in the context of grace, like he gives us more than we deserve. Grace and mercy, mercy is like the opposite in a sense. He gives us what we don't deserve. He works in the context of grace and mercy, but he also works in the context of time. Over that time, he makes us more righteous. And righteousness, our own righteousness, works hand in hand with the holiness, the holiness that we exhibit, the, the holiness that we live out. So if God is holy because he's separate, then for us, listen to this, for us, we are holy when we are separate. When we are separate from this world, when we see ourselves as separate, when we act separate, that doesn't mean that we're not in the world. The Apostle Paul talks about us being in the world, but we're not of the world. We're like, we're, we're, it's like, it's like a dinghy in the water, in the, in the lake. It's like that dinghy doesn't belong there. It's there, but it doesn't belong there. And we don't belong in this sinful world, in this sinful society. We are just here temporarily. And so we got to see ourselves as holy. If you've never seen yourself as holy, then today this message is for you. You need to begin to see yourself as holy. That might be the first time for you that you, you might have gone to church for years, but maybe you've never seen yourself as holy. If someone would ask, are you holy? you got to say, hell yeah, I'm holy. Maybe don't use that word, hell, but say, yeah, I'm holy. And tell them, what does that mean? I'm separate. I'm here, but I'm separate. I've given my life to God. He is holy. And so I am holy. I am separate. I exist for his purposes. He is my king. That's powerful. You need holiness in your life, just like you need righteousness in your life. And if you see yourself as holy, you will begin to live righteously because you know that you're separate for God. One of our core values this is what we call the great priority. It's Jesus teaching in Matthew to seek first the kingdom of God and what? The kingdom of God and what? If you remember, type that in the chat. The kingdom, seek first the kingdom of God and what? I'm curious to see who remembers this. Seek first the kingdom of God. We got that. The kingdom of God. Where Jesus is the king of our lives where he is the one that we worship he is the one who is the leader of our lives he is the one that we respect and honor and then we say we see in the church online platform for those participating during the live filming k says it's righteousness seek first the kingdom of god 
and his righteousness. Notice how it doesn't even say our righteousness. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Look to God. How is God righteous? How is he right and sinless? And seek after that. Try to live like that. Emulate that. Take on the character of that. Start thinking like that. Start living like that. Start valuing like that. Start spending like that. Start sacrificing like that. Start being like that righteous. If someone asks you, are you righteous? You should be able to tell them, by, by the power of God, I have a position of righteousness. I might, have a, I, might, I might have a black shirt on, but God sees white because he sees the shirt on top, which is Christ's shirt. I'm clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And then every day, I'm becoming more and more righteousness because I'm seeking after the righteousness of God. I'm righteous, and I'm holy. The last thing I want to point out about what this scripture says about us and why God took sin so seriously when it came to Ananias and Sapphira is because we are meant to be models. And that's where the title of this message kicks in. You know, you might not have ever thought about it, but models, what, do models represent themselves? Do models, when they are in a runway show or a photo shoot, are they modeling because they represent themselves? No, they're hired because they're, they are meant to represent the brand. They're meant to represent the brand of the clothes that they're wearing or whatever it is that the company, that the company sells, the goods or the services that the company sells. Models represent something beyond themselves. And in the same way, a Christian, someone who has the name Christian, has Christ in that term. They represent Christ. They represent God. And so God has to take sin seriously. He has to. He took it so seriously that he gave his only begotten son to sacrifice for us. But he takes it seriously in that he doesn't want us to just continually be giving in to sin in our lives giving into sin so much that we're not holy, we're not separate. We're completely with, we're completely like, we're completely, we've completely taken on the character of our culture because we've chosen just to fit in. We haven't taken on the character of Christ. We haven't taken on the characteristics of God. We haven't embraced being a child of the king. We haven't embraced being a citizen of the kingdom. We need to embrace these things because we are models. We represent. We represent the brand. And the brand is Christ, the person of Christ. We represent the brand of Christ. Other scriptures. There's a, there's a scripture that I want to read to you. There's a scripture that I want to read to you that talks about this exact thing. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, Kim shared a, a scripture in the, in the Church Online platform. We're going to come back to that. So did Eric. Thanks for sharing those scriptures, guys. That's awesome when you share scriptures. Not yet. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, in 2 Corinthians 5.20, it says, 
uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, the second second letter that we have. He says, so we are now representatives of the anointed one, meaning we are models. We represent. We're models that represent the anointed one, the Messiah, the chosen one. We represent the Christ. The liberating king, he goes on. God has given us a charge to carry through our life urging, our, our lives, sorry, God has given us a charge to carry through our lives, urging all people on behalf of the anointed one to come, to become reconciled to the creator God. Once again, vinegar and water, vinegar and oil mixing because of the emulsifier of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. But other, other translations take the word representatives and, call, and calls it ambassadors. Some of you, if it helps you, see yourself as an ambassador. You are an ambassador of Christ. When you're an ambassador, do you go out in your grubbies? Do you go out in your sweats when you're doing your job? No, you represent whatever country you're an ambassador representing. And it's the same thing as models. When you're modeling, you don't just come out with your own clothes. You come out, you come out with the righteousness of Christ. You represent Christ. You represent the brand. And it's time for every single one of us to begin to see ourselves as models representing the brand of Christ. We need to live like that. The only way to live like that is to be holy. In a sense, when models walk down the runway, they're holy. It's only them walking down the runway. Those that are watching don't get to, don't get to walk the runway. And don't be fooled. Don't think you're walking down a runway where no one sees you. Because all eyes are on you. All eyes are on you, whether or not you realize it or not. When, you, when people know that you're a Christian, they're observing, is this person, they use, would use the word different. Is this person different? In other words, is this person holy? Is this person different in the, the, the way they live, the way they think? Are they different? Do they use language just the same as anyone else? Do they use their money the same way that everyone else does? Do they value the same things that everyone else does? Do they have relationships the same way that everyone else does? Because if they're just the same as us, why do we need them? And if their God is just the same as us, why do we need God? In their minds, they're thinking like, we don't need God because these guys are no different. They're no different than us. They're right in the audience when they're supposed to be walking down the runway and they're not walking down the runway. They're just like us because they're just wearing the same clothes as us. So why do I need to watch them and, and, and how they dress? I, we don't because they're just like us. But we came for the show. We came to see the brand. And these guys aren't representing the brand. So through Ananias and Sapphira, God is showing us his holiness, his righteousness. He's calling us to be holy and righteous. And he's calling us ultimately to be models for the brand, to be representatives of the brand, to be ambassadors of the brand, the brand of Christ. Don't even say that you're a Christian if you're not really if you're not ready to represent the Christ of Christian. You've you're taking out Christ out of your Christianity, and that's not good. That's not potent at all. That's impotent. 
There's nothing. There's nothing to that. That's, that's a wrong representation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, a student of Christ, a follower of Christ. And so God is calling us. He's calling us. It's a part of this revival. It's a part of the revival that people are experiencing and have been experiencing in pockets all, all throughout the last 2,000 years in different ways. I want to read a snippet of something. Actually, before I do that, I want to read out the scriptures that I told you I would from people who posted them in the church online platform where we have our live filming. When we talked about holiness, Kim pointed out, I don't, Kim, the, she didn't include the reference, but I'll give it to you in a moment. She said, he is holy, so I am holy, in quotations. Let me read you, let me read you two scriptures. Um, one's from First Peter. So this is written by Simon Peter. He didn't re- write the Gospels, but he wrote these three letters. First, uh, uh, first Peter, Second Peter, um, the two letters. Verse 14 of the first chapter, it says this, Be like obedient children. So don't 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 look on look down on children, but be like obedient children as you put aside the desires you used to pursue. You put aside the desires that you used to pursue when you didn't know better. And in verse 15 it says in his words, since the one who called you is holy, since the one who called you, he's calling you. God has called you. Since the one who has called you is holy, be holy in all you do. For the scripture says, you are to be holy, for I am holy, in the words of God. And he's quoting Leviticus 11.44. I'm going to go to that scripture. And I'm, I'm quoting this to you in the voice translation. God said, for I am the eternal one, your God. Guys, listen. This is God speaking to you through this Old Testament scripture. He's speaking to you right now. And he says, For I am the eternal one, your God. You are to consecrate yourself to be holy. When you consecrate yourself, you separate yourself, dedicate yourself, designate yourself to be holy. You are to consecrate yourselves and be holy, for I am holy, God says. Thank you, Kim, for pointing out that scripture. Kim says, I was just quoting you. And I guess I was just quoting Peter. And Peter was just quoting Moses in the book of Leviticus. We're all quoting each other. And it all comes from God. When it comes to being representatives man, we got, of, of God, we got to be holy. There's a couple of scriptures that I wanted to read to you that I forgot that were about the righteousness that we're to seek after. And so in 1 John, so this is written by John, this 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, towards the end of the New Testament, the end of your Bible. In the expanded Bible version, in verse 29, it says, since, and then if in square brackets, since if you know that Christ, he is righteous, you know that all who do right, in square brackets, it says practice righteousness. So doing right is, is practicing righteousness. You know that all who practice righteousness are God's children. 
and then in square brackets, you've been born or uh, born of or begotten by him. So, God, did you know that, that if you practice righteousness, God gives you the right. He gives you the privilege to be called children of God, to be born again as children of God. If you want to memorize a scripture, this is a great scripture to memorize, 1 John 2.29. And, and read it in different translations. Let me read it again. Since if you know that Christ... He is righteous. You know that all who do right or practice righteousness are God's children or have been born of or been begotten by him as his children. Is it true that every human being is considered God's children? Maybe in a sense that we were all created by him. But in a different sense, God, in his own words, through John, the Apostle John, is telling us it's the people who practice righteousness, who live righteously, that are the children of God. Does that mean every Christian is a child of God just because they, they say they're a Christian, they identify themselves as a Christian? No, it's the people who are Christians that practice righteousness that are the children of God. John one twelve, the Gospel of John chapter 1, verse 12 says, but... To all who did accept, in square brackets, expanded Bible says, receive. So accept or receive him, him, and believe in him, in his name, name that indicating the character of the person. He gave them the right, in square brackets, it says power or authority. He gave them the right or the power or the authority to become children of God. Let me read it again. But to all who did accept or receive him and believe in him, in his name, which indicates the character of him, he gave the right and the power or the authority to become children of God. In the Amplified Bible, similar to the expanded version, it expands on the, the words so you can understand the full meaning because when you translate from different languages, uh, from one language to the other, it's not just a word-for-word word translation of every single word that exists. Sometimes one we don't have one word in English for one word in the other language. So in the Amplified Version, it says, But to as many as did receive and welcome him, accepting Christ means receiving him and welcoming him. He gave the right, and then square brackets, the authority, the privilege, it's a privilege. The authority and the privilege to become children of God. That is, to those who believe in or adhere to, trust in, and rely on. So believing is not just that you believe God exists. It doesn't just mean you believe that Jesus exists. It means that you adhere to and trust in and rely on Him and His name. And that's powerful. Let me read it in the voice translation. John 1, 12, voice. But for all who did receive and trust him, he gave them the right to be reborn as children of God. That's, what's, that's what happens when you trust in and rely, and rely on God for 
for the working out of your righteousness. You receive a position of righteousness and then you're working out practically your righteousness throughout your life. And then I want to share with you one last scripture that's kind of like a bonus scripture. It's not comp- it's, it's indirectly related to all this. This is the Apostle Paul's words to the Philippians in chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. It says, But we are citizens of what? We are citizens of what? You might be, practically speaking, a citizen of Canada or the United States or the United Kingdom or another country. But when you become a child of God, you receive another citizenship, a dual citizenship, if you, if you will, and a much more important citizenship. The Apostle Paul reminds the followers of Jesus in Philippi, the city of Philippi, he reminded them that we are citizens of heaven. Then he goes on to, to elaborate on that, and he says, we are exiles on this earth. We're exiles Exiles on earth waiting eagerly for a liberator. So just as the Jews were waiting for a Messiah to liberate them, we're exiles. And Jesus has liberated us from the consequences of living in a sinful society and in a, in a sinful life. He's liberated us by giving us a position of righteousness so that when God the Father sees us, He sees us clothed in Christ's righteousness, and we no longer need to bear the consequences of sin because Jesus bore those consequences for us. The Scripture goes on to say, Our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One, to come and transform these humble, these humble earthly bodies into the form of His glorious body by the same power that brings all things under His control. But the thing I wanted to point out to you is this, is that we are citizens of heaven. We are not meant to fit in. And I think the Lord is saying to us that we're fitting in too much. We're fitting in too much. It's like the salt has lost its saltiness. It's no longer good for anything. It needs to be thrown out. You know, back back in the days of the first century in the Old Testament, they would take salt and they put it in this little kind of pouch and use that you know, in liquids to to provide to, to give it a saltiness. And when this had lost its saltiness, they would open the door and throw it out. They would throw it out and get rid of it. The salt in much of the church has lost its saltiness, and God is coming back, calling us to righteousness, calling us to holiness, calling us to revival. And this is how revival starts when we recognize our sinfulness and we want to seek God and we decide to make a U-turn and we seek Him in prayer and we confess our sinfulness and we call on God for righteousness and for holiness and we seek to live that way and we take on our role as models for Christ. And on that note, I want to close on this last article. This article was written by John Stackhouse Jr., He was a professor at Regent College and and other universities. And he was there for about around 17 years. Let me get up my notes um, in regards to this. Where's my notes? Let me just read a little bit about this. Um, I wanted to tell you his background. Here it is. John Stackhouse Jr., he was a Regent 
He was at Regent College in Vancouver from 1998 to 2015, where he served as the, I think this is a Korean name, Sangwoo Yutong Chi, Professor of Theology and Culture at Regent. So he was the Professor of Theology and Culture at Regent. And on his blog, you can go to johnstackhouse.com. His blog is called Think Better. I like that. It's the renewing of your mind to think better so that you can become more righteous, so that you can become more holy. I'm gonna, he writes an article called Revival at Ashbury. And then what? Which is a really good question. Hey, by the way, I should type, I'm going to type in his blog into the chat. So it's John Stackhouse. Whoops, I put Stack Horse, which I don't, which won't get you to the right place. John Stackhouse.com, and you can look that up for his blog. I typed it in the chat right there. Um, so let me read out this. So once again, revival at Asbury, talking about the revival that's going on on, on that pivotal campus right now. If you haven't heard about it, I'm, I'm surprised. It's, it's being posted all around social media. People are talking about it all over the place. Look it up. Asbury is A-S-B-U-R-R-Y. Sorry, A-S-B-U-R-Y. Forget that first spelling I, I mentioned. As the revival of repentance... Remember, we talked about repentance, this U-turn. As the revival of repentance, confession, prayer, and worship continues at Asbury University, Kentucky, some historians and theolog- theological, some th- historical and theological perspectives suggest that all of this enthusiasm and energy means, well, nothing in particular. <laughs> Not necessarily but maybe it will. And he goes on to say in the next paragraph, Jonathan Edwards, the great 18th century New England theologian and philosopher. If you haven't heard of him, his name's John Edwards. He's quite famous in theological circles, and he was famous in his day. Says he was also arguably the greatest American psychologist of religion. As Edwards surveyed the outbreak of revival in his own congregation and beyond, he wrote several, several studies of what was happening, culminating in his classic treatise on religious affections. And what Edwards concluded, listen up guys to this, what Edwards concluded is that an awful lot of what he was witnessing could well be attributed to the Holy Spirit but equally plausibly could be crowd dynamics and individual hysteria. He goes on to say that the ending proof of the enduring value of such excitement would be enduring change in the quality of discipleship. Discipleship is like how you are growing, your way of growing as a student of Jesus. So what's he saying out of all this? The enduring proof of the value of the excitement that people are experiencing would be related to the enduring change in the quality of how people are growing after after that revival experience. Would these people 
demonstrably love God more? Would they hunger more for God's word? Would they quest after holiness? This is what we talked about, guys. Would they quest after holiness? Would they serve each other better? Like serve each other? Actually get involved in the game? Actually intentionally serve each other? Edwards was unimpressed by the voltage of mere enthusiasm coursing through people's nervous systems, prompting people to shout and to cry and make all sorts of claims. He recognized that spectacular outbreaks of religious fervor mean literally nothing without producing the fruit of the Spirit that we find in Galatians 5, 22 to 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. I can't remember if I'm missing one there, but go read it, Galatians 5. It means nothing if it's not producing these fruit of the Spirit. Indeed, Edwards was himself fired from his pastorate not many months after the awakening or the revival had inflamed his own congregation precisely for insisting that holiness of life match profession of devotion. That if you profess devotion to Christ, you ought to match it with the holiness of your life. Once again, holiness. The most vivid of charismatic manifestations and the most heroic of spiritual feats the Apostle Paul A-V-E-R-R-E-D, a word I'm not familiar with, and just so much noise without evident practical care for each other in sustained relationships of mutual service, like in 1 Corinthians 13 he talks about. And the Lord himself cautioned that, that a tree is known by its fruit, according to Jesus in Matthew 7. And not what we may say, what we might say, by how impressive it looked when shaken by the passing wind. Did you get that, guys? Jesus didn't say, you'll, you'll, know, you'll know the type of tree it is by how well it shakes in the wind from that roaring of the wind. How spectacular of a roar of a wind that was that, that went through the, the branches and the leaves of the tree. No, he's saying that you will know You'll know what that tree is by the fruit that it produces. A tree is known by its fruits. I even believe this, guys, that revival can look like a non-revival. If the people of God just begin to obey Him, just begin to seek after righteousness, to live after, live righteously, seek after God's righteousness. If the people just start to be, see themselves as holy and, and, and proclaim that they are holy and that they don't belong to this world, and they, they choose to be models of Christ, then this revival, the results of revival happen even res, without what people outwardly see as revival. If our whole community began to do this, this is what revival leads to. This is the purpose of revival. And without this, revival falls short. It falls short. It's just a spectacular event that's newsworthy. And it didn't last for more than that moment. That moment might be a week. It might be two weeks. It might be a month. But God is looking for a lifetime of righteousness and holiness and being His representative representative on this earth, a model of his brand. That's what God wants from us. That's what God wants from us. And so guys, I want to call you 
I want to call you. I want to call you onto the walkway. I want to call you to holiness. I want to call you to the righteousness of God. And I want you to call, I want you to to respond to the call of God to be his representative on this earth, to be his model that represents the brand of Christ. You don't have to have the looks of a runway model, but you should look like Christ. Your life should look like Christ. The way that you talk should sound like Christ. What you value should have the aroma of Christ. And you will be a model representing his, his brand. Spiritual lessons from modeling. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for speaking. Thank you for giving us this powerful message. This indeed is a message of revival. This is the meat and potatoes of it. And God, I just pray. I pray that you will that you will inspire and motivate and urge the heart of every single person listening, whether it's right now live or it's later in on demand, that you will pull on us Pull us towards your call, your call to holiness, your call to righteousness. And those of us that haven't been living that way, Lord, even those of us that believe we've been living that way, we still have sin. And so this for us is a revival of confession, a revival of repentance, a U-turn coming to you and seeking after your righteousness and your holiness and being your model of your brand. So God, For each of us, may we hear you speaking so loudly right now. And the people who are listening, take a moment and respond to God. Say yes, yes, yes. If you're not willing to say yes, you can stay silent or you might tell God, I'm not ready. If you're not ready but you want to be ready, say, God, I'm not ready but I want to be ready. Help me. Help me where I can't bridge that gap. Help me to cross that divide. I need you. If you're responding yes to God, say, yes, God, in the words of Isaiah, here I am, send to me. I am here. I am here. I receive this message. I respond with my obedience. I seek righteousness. I seek holiness. Forgive me of my sins. I confess them to you. And I make a U-turn in repentance. And I choose to be a model of your bread, of your kingdom. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.